You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. I know some of you other men can identify with me, but uh, the first few years of our marriage, <clears throat> four words would send <clears throat> shivers down my spine. We need to talk. <laughs> I was like, no, what did I do now? <laughs> you know, what I have to fix? And we've been married now long enough where I don't hear those words so much anymore. Um, fortunately, so either Betsy's just given up, um, or we've I've able to, uh, to to navigate things. However, they've been replaced by three words that just bring dread um, when I hear them. I've been thinking because I know that whatever comes next is going to either cost me time, money, or both. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I heard those words. I've been thinking. Um, I think we need to paint our bedroom. You know, we moved into our house in December and there's some colors there that just weren't her favorite. And so yesterday I was painting and I woke up this morning discovering muscles and things that, you know, when you're on your hands and knees and bending over and squatting and stretching and it's like, so if you hear me grunting and moaning up here today, it's because of like, ooh, I forgot about that muscle there. But uh, any of you other... You know, I've been thinking, project, yeah, okay, I'm not alone. <clears throat> Have you ever had a conversation with someone and then they say to something like, uh, well, you know what the Bible says, and then they kind of give this little pithy saying, you know, and there's like, when they're done, you're walking like, wait a minute, is that really in the Bible? Is that really, uh, you ever find yourself those where they have these little sayings? Well, I've got a quiz for you this morning, or it's a group quiz. You know, so it's an all pass or fail kind of thing, no grades. Um, so I'm going to read a statement, and then you tell me if you think it's in the Bible or not. Okay? <clears throat> so here's the first one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Very good. You're off to a great start. All right? And what's interesting, we're talking about cleanliness in the Old Testament. It always refers to the act of, of physically clean, ceremonial clean, be separate, be clean from, you know, from, you know, literal cleanliness, hygiene type of things. In the New Testament, it always refers to spiritual matters. So it's interesting between the two testaments, the idea of cleanliness, how it looks at different. Okay, so <clears throat> here's the second one: love your neighbor as yourself. Very good. Jesus spoke it in Mark, actually in, in all the different Gospels. <clears throat> Money is the root of all evil. Ah, we had a split here. Okay, we have a, a really voice for snow here. Okay, it's kind of a trick. It kind of, it's kind of a trick question. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all. So money in and of itself is is there's no value. Well, there's value, but there's no uh, moral value to money. We only get that when we attribute more to it than we should. So it's the love of money <laughs> is the root of all evil. Um. Here's another one. God works in mysterious ways. It's not in the Bible. It's really accurate though, isn't it? it it's, it's certainly true, but it's not in the Bible. Um, there's many things that talk about the secret things of God and things like that, but, but that particular statement is not in the Bible. Without faith, is it impossible to please God? 
It is. It is. In Hebrews, it talks about that. <clears throat> God helps those who help themselves. No. Do you know where that actually came from? Aesop. Aesop's fables. 600 B.C. So he's actually about the gods, not a god, but is where that actually came from. Here's the last one. Hate the sin, love the sinner. It's not in the Bible. You know where that actually came from? The first time they can actually find that in reference is Gandhi. 1929, in this statement that he made about hating the sin but loving the sinner. <clears throat> so these false statements, those among the few true ones that were there, they're examples of popular things that some have adopted into the belief system. So even if you don't necessarily you know, say, hey, this is in the Bible or this is from God, we kind of, intu- we kind of in- intuit or we kind of take these on as our own. They become part of our belief system. And while some of them are rather minor, cleanliness is next to godliness, while it's not in the Bible and it's not, eh, there's no harm in that one. That's, that's actually kind of a good one. You know, being clean, the hygiene is actually could be really good. Some, while some of these are rather minor, some of them, some of these statements have the potential to have a much, much greater impact in our lives. These beliefs, the things that we understand, the things that we intuit in our own heart can literally shape how we live our lives. They shape the decisions we make. They shape the things we do. The challenge is that the source of our belief system should be established in the person of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word. Our belief system should not be established on what our culture has adopted as truth. Truth isn't established on what we want it to be. Truth has been established by God. Last week, uh, we're in this uh, second week now of a three-week series on, um, uh, we've entitled it, uh, God Never Said That. Uh, So there's different deceptions that are out there, can be more common. Last week, we looked at this idea that God wants you to be happy all the time. And it's not that God's against happiness, but happiness shouldn't be our primary pursuit in life. God is concerned much more about things that have long-term, even eternal consequences than our temporary um, emotion of happiness. And the problem is that when we expect and think that God wants us to be happy all the time, when our reality doesn't meet our expectations, we're disappointed and it causes all kinds of uh, disillusionment with God and that's just really, really not helpful. And we also discussed the fact that people use this idea as an excuse to justify the behavior, contrary to what God would say. What was interesting, I actually was talking with Pastor Farrell here um, this past week, and um, I mentioned, I've never really actually had anybody come up to me and make that statement. You know, hey, God wants me to be happy all the time. And he kind of rolled his eyes, like, you've got to be kidding. He says, I hear this a lot. In fact, just this week, he had someone in his office saying that this is the decision they're going to make. And Pharaoh is saying, this is so not what you should be doing that I can give you in the Bible countless examples of why this is a bad choice and an ungodly decision. And the response was, well, God wants me to be happy, so it's okay. You know, you know, and that was, so, so people do that. And so no one here, I get that, not in Statesville, no one does that. Um, 
So this week, so that was last week. This week, we're going to look at this, a deception that we've framed this way. When you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are saved. And it doesn't matter what you do. When you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are saved, and it doesn't matter what you do. Another way to say it is, as long as you believe in Jesus, you can do whatever you want to do. So let's take a moment and unwrap that a bit. Those who would hold to this idea, and again, in our sermon planning meeting, we actually were talking about, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to reference a TV show because I haven't seen it, and so I don't want to do, but essentially there was a person, one of these reality TV shows where the main person was supposedly a Christian and really vocal about that, but was really living an immoral life really, really bad, <clears throat> was confronted by someone else about this being inconsistent about with the Christian lifestyle, and they're putting well, I believe in Jesus, so I'm good. And so they justified it by that saying. So here's the, so, but let's unwrap that a bit, that idea. So someone who would say that, you know, as long as you believe in Jesus, you can do whatever you want to do, there's an awareness of right and wrong. There really is. They, they're aware that there's, there's a right and wrong but there's preference for what's wrong. So yeah, I'm aware of what's right and wrong, but my preference is for what is wrong. And there's a desire to avoid all consequences, especially anyone that might have eternal consequences. And there's a willingness to cherry pick Bible verses. For instance, John 3.16. One most of us can probably, many of us can probably quote from heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves me. I believe in Jesus. Therefore, I'm all set. So you just take just that one verse and say, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him, I have eternal life. I'm golden. I'm good. <clears throat> the reality is this. The truth is this. When you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you are saved, and you are called to honor Jesus in your life and with your life. Before I go any further, let me, let me pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I do thank you for uh, the chance to dig into this a little bit and to explore your word. And, and Lord, the lives that you're calling us to live. Father, I thank you that um, you love us enough that you... You want the best for us. And sometimes we look at lives uh, of what you would want and we look at that as being restrictive when actually you're trying to make us free and free from the consequences of so much of what is out there. And so, Father, I pray that uh, may your truth, may the truth of your word reach deep into our hearts this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. So another way of saying, you know, this, as long as you believe in Jesus, you can do whatever you want. That's also part of a conversation um, that you may, some of you may have heard this, once saved, always saved. <clears throat> um, essentially, the asking question is, can a person lose their salvation? <coughs> when we say this, you know, once saved, always saved, we're talking about this idea of eternal security. Now, before all of you, your, the eyes start to gloss over and you start to, I start to lose you here. This is a, long, a big theological term, and it's a really big theological issue that really does matter, 
But this can take us down a path that I have no desire to go down this morning um, because of just the time it would take to develop this idea. Here's what I want to say about this. If we misunderstand the biblical ideal, so there's a biblical ideal out there, and if we get it wrong, if we misunderstand it, we can come to a wrong conclusion. And in this case, talking about this idea of doing whatever we want to do, this wrong conclusion can lead to some behaviors with very, very, very bad consequences. So let me talk about that just a little bit, about two thoughts about this deception, which they're not in your worship guide. I should, they should be in your, on slides here. Paul talks in, in his letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9. He says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So here's the thing, if you, if you read that, and if, um, yeah, so leave it up there. Faith is the catalyst for salvation. What actually saves us is God's grace. You realize that? So we're, we're saved by faith through grace. Paul's telling us that it's not just about us. It's not just your decision. There has to be a decision part, but the actual saving part element is actually God's grace. That's what saves us. When we talk about salvation, we're talking about an act of grace by God which is my first thought in this idea here. And while belief is essential for salvation, belief without God's grace is of little effect. Remember, even James tells us, even the demons believe. Yet no one is suggesting they're going to be spending eternity in heaven. So just the fact that you cognitively believe and accept as real Jesus Christ isn't sufficient. So the thought number one is salvation is an act of grace by God. Paul also tells us in his letter to the, the church in Philippi, he says, therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Work out your salvation with fear and and trembling. <clears throat> it's, I think it's important to realize that it's not talking about fear and trembling like you're afraid you're going to lose it. The context here is more of humility. It's, it's like, holy smokes, what an amazing gift. And there's this sense of awe and a sense of just being overwhelmed that's what it means by fear and trembling. It's, it's, it's not that, that it's something to be afraid of or fearful of. It's the fact that, like, can you believe what I have? The reality is that we've been given the keys to the kingdom of God. We need to treat it with respect. And even though the word work is used here, our salvation is not based on works. And so let, let me be clear. It's conveying the idea that becoming like Christ is a lifelong process. The working out of our faith is not a one-time decision. It's a daily, sometimes mo- even during the day, multiple times during the day. It's an ongoing process of working out your salvation. 
which is my second thought in this idea here. To treat salvation as a one-time action dishonors God's gift of grace. So for me, the question is, how did we get here? How did we get from work out your salvation with fear and trembling to I'm saved so I can do whatever I want? What's behind this deception? How, did, how does this happen? A few other thoughts about that. Some of it, it's just, I think it's human nature. But I think the first thought is this. We want to be our own master. I don't know about you, but I don't like being told what to do. I just don't. I kind of, if, I, if we're all honest, I think very few of us do. We just don't like being told what to do. You can ask me and I'm happy to help, but I just don't like being told. What there's something in us that is that way, I think that's most. Part of it's cultural. I think part of our national identity is built on this idea of a fierce sense of independence. We are, we're just that kind of a people who enjoy or who appreciate that. And I think that's part of it. But I think most of it is just human nature. We just don't like being told what to do. I mean, it's across cultures. We just don't like to be told what to do. What's, what's even worse, though, than telling someone what, to, what's even worse, though, than telling them what to do is actually telling them what they shouldn't do especially if there's moral attachment to it. We live in a day and an age when it's actually worse to tell someone they shouldn't do something because it's wrong than the actual act itself. Think about that. This could be a really, really terrible, terrible thing. But the fact that I might say that's a terrible thing and you shouldn't do it is actually treated as worse than the behavior itself. The very essence of our sin nature is the desire to live life on our own terms. That's what we want. We want to be our own master. Another factor in this deception is that we want to gratify our desires. In both Romans and Galatians, Paul talks about the internal conflict between our spirit and our sinful nature. It is that we, we want to do we do, we, we do what we don't want to do and we don't do what we want to do and there's this conflict that's going on and raging within us. I love, I came across this quote in my reading in, in, for this. Um, it was actually uh, by an author recently, but there, there I actually, it should be on the screen. Um, <coughs> what the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. So let me read that again. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. The mind doesn't direct the will. The mind is actually captive to what the will wants. And the will itself, in turn, is captive to what the heart wants. The trouble with human nature is that we are born with a heart that loves ourselves over and above everything else in this world, including God. In short, we are born slaves to the lust for self-gratification. That's why if left to ourselves, we will always love those things that make us feel good about ourselves, even as we depart more and more from God and his ways. Therefore, God must intervene in our lives in order to bring salvation. We want to be our own master. We want to gratify our own desires. 
and we value momentary pleasure over obedience. Now, in your, if you're, some of you are taking notes, also in, in parentheses at the end, put wise decisions. We value momentary pleasure over wise decisions. So I'm adding that to the, the conversation here. And it's not that I disagree with obedience. I think it's important that there is obedience to God is very, very important. But I'm, I'm convinced that sometimes our actions and our choices are not necessarily acts of disobedience. Sometimes you're just not smart. Sometimes you're just plain stupid. They're unwise. I have a problem with late night snacks. I mean, it's not like I eat big meals. During the day, I, I don't snack a lot. But something about the nighttime, Beth actually refers to it as night Sam. You know, and uh, I don't know what it is. But I rationalize it by telling myself, I'll be good tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll be good. Or this isn't that bad, dear. This isn't... Sinful behavior happens the same way. We rationalize it. It's not that bad. I'm not as bad as them. I mean, they're even worse. I mean, look at it. Then, or, or I'll be good tomorrow. I'll enjoy today. We value momentary pleasure over obedience and wise decisions. So what are some of the truths or what are some of the other things that we want to think about or how should we think about this idea that we're talking about today? Your choices to a great degree will shape the life you are experiencing. Your choices to a great degree will shape the life you are experiencing. Galatians 6 tells us, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Uh, Andy Stanley, some of you are familiar with him as a pastor of a large church um, with many campuses even across the country uh, uh, in Atlanta is where he's at. Um, he wrote a book called uh, The Best Question Ever. And he makes a statement. He says, every decision we make is preceded by a series of questions. Questions like, how much can I afford? What are the risks? How will this make me feel? How much could I lose? What are my chances? All of these questions are things, questions that we ask ourselves as we're trying to come to a decision. And quite often, these questions will eventually determine the behavior that we will choose. So for him, he said, we need to make sure we're asking the right questions. It's not just what are the risks, what can I lose? His, his, he actually boils it down to this, what I thought was, was actually quite insightful. Is this the wise thing for me to do? Is this the wise thing for me to do? If we ask this question, we won't find ourselves in difficult positions wondering how we got here. Another thought is that sin can be forgiven, but there are consequences you may have to endure. Paul tells us, and many times in the New Testament, and there's others that say it as well, as well, that we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you any less. It's not that God is punishing you for your behavior. It's just that sometimes that's the way life works. There are consequences to decisions and our actions. So the irony, though, is, here's, here's an irony. A person will make a very poor decision and then blame God when things go bad. Proverbs talks about this. A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Do you ever notice? Have you ever found that? Like, 
they really, I remember one time there's a coworker. She came to work one Monday with her arm in a sling. And uh, what happened? Oh, I was skiing, you know, and, you know, I had an accident and I broke my arm. Then she made this comment. Maybe God just wanted me to slow down a bit. I've been really busy. I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> no, you chose to make one last run at the end of the day when your leg muscles are tired and the mountain's freezing up again and you've got all this ice on the hill and you're, you weren't able to control your speed. You made a series of choices and then fell and broke your arm. This was not God. But isn't it something how that we like to attribute those things to him when they have nothing to do with, they have everything to do with our choices and our decisions. Another one, another thing to think about is wrong actions can rob you of potential and God's preferred plan for your life. We are a culture obsessed with individualism. <clears throat> I mentioned this earlier, but it's part of our natural identity. It is. Um, I remember one time watching a talk show. I can't remember the show. I can't remember any of the specifics. It was, I, it was just the reality, what happened, where this young woman uh, was, was talking. She was being interviewed or whatever, and she kind of just told them about the decision that she'd made. And basically, the decision was to reject everyone closest to her, to her and go her own way. And uh, basically, she made a statement, no one's going to tell me what to do. The audience cheered and roared. And I remember thinking, like, wait, what? This has got to be the stupidest action I've ever heard of. And the crowd's cheering because no one's going to tell me what to do. It's like she's just sabotaged every of these relationships she's turned her back on. I wish they would interview her five or ten years from that point to see what, what does her life look like now. But because she had this independence and she wasn't going to be told what to do, everyone cheered. Some of us who are old enough might remember Frank Sinatra, one of his big songs, I Did It My Way. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every way. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. To re the record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. Catchy tune, but the lyrics leave a little bit to be desired. See, here's the thing. You can do it your way. You can. And you say, you know, I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to take my chances. But you got to remember that the choices you make do shape your life. There are consequences for all of our decisions Wrong actions can rob you of potential and God's preferred plan for your life. My last thought this morning is this. God has called us to live holy lives. 1 Peter 1 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Let me say this. Holy does not mean living a boring, pious life with no fun or excitement. It's making wise choices that honor God and others. 
Holy also doesn't mean that your life is perfect or without sin. Holy in this context is a call to be separate from what others might be doing, especially might be within our culture, with what the world might say is okay. It's a call to be separate and to be following God. Friends, we're not called to believe in Jesus. We're called to pursue Jesus. When Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, believe in me. He said, come, follow me. And for the next three years, that's what they did. The call to us this morning is the same. Come, follow me. We pursue Jesus not because he's elusive, not because we can't find him, not because there's something insufficient. We pursue him because there's always more of him available to us than we currently have. None of us have attained all there is of God. And so we constantly want to pursue God because there's always more of him available to us. It's not so that we, again, it's not so that we can live this boring life. It's, if you look at many of the rules and things that God has put in there, they're for our protection. Protect relationships, protect us from making really bad choices. It's realizing that there's consequences and that we need to be living life in a way that honors him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, uh, we've just, we've looked at this idea that if we just believe in your son Jesus, then all's good and we can do whatever we want. And Father, clearly the balance, the whole, the whole of your word, how you've revealed yourself to us, that in its entirety, Lord God, is, does not say that. There might be a verse or two here that says, believe on me and, and you'll be saved. And, and we get that, but the entirety of your word says that there's so much more than just a cognitive, a mental belief. Father, you want not just our mind, you want our heart. Lord, you want all of us. So Father, my prayer is that if there's any here this morning that are wrestling with a decision and they know in their heart what they should do, but it's not what they want to do. And Father, my prayer is that you would provide them with the information, the insight, that would allow them to make the decision they need to make. Give them courage, Lord God, to be able to do what they know they need to do. Lord, I also want to pray for anyone here who is wrestling with the consequences of a decision they've made. Something they've made in their past and they're still paying a price for it today. Father, first I want my prayers that you would reaffirm to them, Lord, your love for them. Um, and Father, my prayer is that you would also work in their life. Whether or not this consequence can come to an end, or Father, that it just becomes something that becomes much more manageable for their life. But Father, it's important that we realize that your love for us is never-ending. It doesn't diminish. It doesn't fade. It's just as strong for us today as the day we were born, or even the day when we first surrendered our life to you. Lord, that same love is available to us today. Lord, we are an imperfect people. We have many, many faults. Lord, we fail you probably daily. In the midst of this, Lord God, your love rings true. Lord, in the midst of this, you desire the best for us. So, Father, I pray that we would continue to seek you, to follow you, pursue you with all we have. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.